and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And what you all can't see right now is that I would like to virtually punch Emily for mocking me as I do today's introduction. I wasn't mocking you. I was trying to show my dedication to the bit and that I know how well I, I know what you say. That is a bit. The bit of our podcast opening, sure. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I don't. I don't know where to go from there. Let's just let's just introduce the episode. I guess today on National Treasure Hunt, we're gonna have some fun um, taking you through Agent Peter Sadesky's storage unit in the first episode of National Treasure: Edge of History. Uh, more on that in just a minute. I know it doesn't sound fun, but it will be. Yeah, I mean, I'll be just frank. trust us. Yeah, I was. I'll be frank. We didn't really know what this episode was going to become when we decided we were going to do this episode. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. And I think we're gonna do a combination of, you know illuminating what is in Sadusky's mysterious storage unit so that you don't have to close watch the scenes yourself, but maybe also speculate a little bit about Sadusky as a person. And you know when Aubrey starts talking about Sadusky, things get heated. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this will make me like him more. Maybe it will humanize him. Time will only tell. But before we do all of that, we of course have to start this episode the way we start all episodes by acknowledging and embracing just how deeply we have fallen into the depths of the pit beneath Parkington Lane. We are struggling at the bottom of the pit, just like Shaw. This is our screams from Parkington Lane. Ah! All right, Em, what you got for me this week? So I've actually been saving this one up for a little bit. Um I don't even know if I told you about this, Aubrey, or sent you a picture of this. Based on your face, I'm going to say no. Well, I don't know. What are you? What are you going to say? Uh, so sometime before the Fourth of July, uh, Josh and I were at uh his friend's house and his friend has a a pool um and he had pulled out some pool floats ish floats is a loose term for what this was um and you know Josh and I are immediately taken by this large yellow circular thing that's not an inner tube but is, like, solid in the sense that it's kind of like a beanbag. Okay. But it's floating in the water. But, like, you can't get on it. Honestly, we tried. It The functionality of it is unclear. Guess what this yellow object was? I don't know. A lemon. <laughs> uh, wait. wait, but it wasn't a float. 
It was definitely, it was like a beanbag flow. Like, it was like, its purpose was to be in the pool and for you to sit on. It was just unclear, like, how... To do that. Yeah. Huh. Did you uh, take a picture with it? I don't think I took a picture with it. I, I have a picture of it. All right. Well, you're obviously going to have to send that to me. Yeah. Um, But yeah, do you see why I built the suspense? I guess so. I really had no idea where you were going with I that. I know. <laughs> um, what is your much more obvious scream? Well, mine's short and sweet and probably a scream that other National Treasure fans have had. Um, I am kind of slow to the game here i have been watching the show called you on netflix um i don't know there's been so much hype about this show for literal years and i've just never really gotten on board um but needed a new gym show started watching it um and found that in the first season of the show um the main character who's a literal murderer his name is joe he goes to a therapist but doesn't want to give his real name and so the name that he gives the therapist is paul brown what <laughs> i don't know if this is like something about our listening community that they don't watch you in which case i would say like maybe good life choices i i don't i don't know the show that well or like if so how has nobody brought this to our attention right i was floored um and it made me very happy and yeah wow that's great thanks short and sweet but we love it nonetheless um okay before we dive further we have to of course talk a little bit about our collaboration with cleo if you've been listening to us this season or following us on social media, you will know that we have been thrilled to collaborate with a sensory history company called Clio on the development of a candle inspired by the olfactive history at Independence Hall in 1776. Um, throughout this season of National Treasure Hunt, we've been taking you through the collaborative process. We hope you find it interesting. I know I would, so, you know. Here's hoping you do too. And today we wanted to tell you a little bit about how we contributed to the actual design and like aesthetic of the candle. This was, I think, the part that I was like the most nervous about. Really? Be yeah, because like I wanted it to be like, obviously it has to smell good, right? But like when people are buying the candle online it has to be because it looks good and i was like what are we going to be able to contribute to this right like we've with the help of lovely uh friend of the pod ankita uh patel have been able to design like our own logo for our podcast but like we just haven't done a lot of like in-depth design so i was concerned yeah, I mean, what it ended up being, because Cleo has a signature look for their candles, and that includes sort of a hand, um, I don't know, hand-placed gold foil at the, at the base of the candle vessel itself. So we were really able to contribute to the design of the label, 
um, that's like signature for the candle and then pick things like the color of the glass and stuff like that. So um, for the glass, we went simple. Um, our collaborator at Clio had these awesome brown glass vessels and I don't know it just felt like Independence Hall vibes when we're talking about wood interiors and desks and all of that it, that felt like a no-brainer oh yeah a hundred percent like that it that screams Independence Hall yeah and then for the label we had examined or kind of we threw out there several options of things to think about we were thinking about the actual picture of Independence Hall that's like on the $100 bill. Um, we thought about like the concept of quill and scroll and things like that. But where we landed, um, in part because of the way it translated actually onto the image, like the sticker, the, the label itself, um, something that I was really ended up being really pleased with, basically all different phrases, poignant phrases from the Declaration of Independence itself kind of surrounding the name of the candle in Congress, July 4th, 1776. And that was great because when we were picking the name of the candle, we had been toying with using different phrases from the Declaration. So we kind of got them all on there in the end. Yeah, uh, it was really cool. And I mean, you know me, I love quotes. So mm -hmm. we're basically have a candle label with a bunch of quotes on it. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go wrong. So, hey, y'all, if you haven't gotten your hands on the candle already, go ahead over to exploreclio.com. That's explore, K-L-E-I-O.com to get your hands on your own sample of this candle. If you go on the site and you find that it is sold out, do not fret. It has sold out multiple times so far. It's very exciting. It will be restocked. Okay? So... Be patient, and you're going to love it. We know it. Yes, and if it is sold out, don't worry, because we'll let you know when it's back in stock. All you have to do is follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. Um, you can also find out everything else about us, aside from our bathroom schedules, on nthuntpodcast.com. Um, if you have not already, for some odd reason, please go ahead and order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy at tuckerdspress.com and we have a patreon which we would love to have you join patreon.com slash nt hunt podcast where we do some fun little perks for our patrons including bonus episodes so if you're a fan of the pod get more pod Bye. get more pod <laughs> unfiltered content honestly <laughs> okay so Let's get into what we all came here for, to learn what the heck is in Agent Sadusky's secret storage unit in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. All right, so um, for those who are uninitiated or who might have forgotten, Agent Sadusky features prominently in the first episode of National Treasure Edge of History on Disney+. Spoiler alert, he does die by the end of this episode, um, but... Before he dies, we learn that he has a storage unit at the place where Jess Valenzuela works called Almighty Storage. And for some reason, the storage unit is not under his name. It's under the alias Eam Phasma. And we get several good looks inside of this storage unit through, I would say, three primary scenes that we'll point out to you in this episode. Uh, so we thought we'd go through today and take a look, dig through the storage unit, see what we could find. 
Yeah, and I just want to note that when Aubrey originally kind of pitched this idea, I was a little, I was like, there's a lot here. <laughs> like, this is going to be a long episode. We're going to, we're going to go through everything and like, do like heavy research on all of it. But once we realized what was in the storage unit, we kind of realized like, not much to be, to be researched. Um, so this is really going to be us just trying to figure out who Sadowski is through his possessions, which I guess is something we can hope everyone can do from us at the end of our lives, maybe. <laughs> I say this looking around the room that I'm currently in and thinking that if someone went through my possessions and or the possessions in this room, they would think I am a very odd person. Josh, I'm speaking to you directly. Okay. Well, without further ado, let's uh let's dive right in. I mean, like I said, we're going to keep this pretty loose um and kind of literally tell you what is in the unit and then talk about why it might be there. Does it connect to the National Treasure movies? Is it going to connect to the Edge of History story? Um and we're going to give you some time points throughout the episode as well in case you want to go back into the actual episode and watch for yourself. Um but you're welcome. You don't have to. Because I literally paused every two seconds reviewing these scenes for all of your benefit. Okay? Yes. Let's everybody try to praise Aubrey in the comments this week and for her dedication and just hard work towards this cause. Thank you, Emily. I really appreciate that. Um... We first see Sadusky's storage unit at the, pretty much at the exact 11 and a half minute mark into the first episode of Edge of History. Um, the first thing I noticed, Em, I wonder if this hit you at all. I will admit it did not hit me the first time I watched, the second time I watched, the third time I watched, but did hit me this time when I watched, and that was the cobwebs. There were so many cobwebs of the exact same like consistency and thickness that we saw in Parkington freaking lane, even though this storage unit would only be like maximum 15 years old. Yeah, I mean, those spiders were hard at work. I, I don't, I don't know. We're not going to science this one, but I feel like the cobwebs were a little exaggerated. And you might ask, well, how did you figure that it's like 15 years old? So my response to you, if you ask that question, would be, we know that Sadesky, um, at the literal first scene of Edge of History, it's dated 2001. So it's dated pre-National Treasure. Um, then we add 21 years, which is basically the flash forward or the time jump that we do in edge of history it tells us that and then we subtract like the year 2007 because that's the year that agent Sadusky retired slash was forced out of the fbi so that is a basically 15 years that i would believe this storage unit might have gone untouched um i personally don't think you'd see that many spider webs but that's just me no definitely not now 
we immediately, if you can get past the spider webs, which honestly took me a while, um, you will see miscellaneous objects. Honestly, probably a lot of objects that you would see in most people's storage units. Things like lamps. There's at least one coat rack. There literally might be multiple coat racks, to which I say, why would you ever have multiple coat racks? There's plenty of furniture of all sorts, tables, chairs, you name it. At least one mirror, which I personally was watching very closely because I really wanted to see if there would be like an error of like a camera person or uh. something. I didn't see it. They did a good job. Um, there were some paintings. There were stacks of papers. There were books. A few like chests, you know, like, like that. treasure chests? Sh yes, but probably not filled with treasure, but we can talk about that. Um, there were some urns and candlestick holders. There's this Yankee Doodle Dandy cap. I remember that. That was a why i will tell you why you remember that if you don't rem if you don't remember why you remember that i will tell you why in a little bit um but like super random right to just like have there um and then something you don't see at first but you do see in a later scene one whole wall of the storage unit is like covered with not filing cabinets but like boxes that you can tell are storing papers or files hmm. so based on these just very generic items can we can we tell anything about Sadusky as a person I mean the chest thing obviously stands out you said treasure chest it begs the question of like what is in the chest sure I mean I know of people who have had like these kinds of chests at the end of like their beds like a hope chest maybe uh, they usually just have like blankets in them mm. it's just like a fancy way to store things yeah i mean it certainly could just be for storage um what do we think could be in the file boxes i mean this could be anywhere from I mean, it's Sadusky. It could be the basics of, like, all of your tax records if you keep that kind of stuff for your whole life. Like, he's an old man, right? Um, am I the only one who thinks it's probably a bunch of Freemason stuff and maybe some FBI files that he shouldn't have? Don't say what you want to say. I know exactly what you want to say. Say it. <laughs> I can't. I'm going to have to cut it. <laughs> say it. Say it. And if you have to cut it, you have to cut it. Say it. It's all the, the documents that Trump stole. I literally knew you were going to say that. Maybe so. That's the first thing I thought of when I thought of file, but I'm like, he works for the FBI. He has files he probably shouldn't have. Like, I don't know, man. Like, why do you need that many files? Sadusky could have been the OG. Uh, I hope not. Well... Now that we're slandering the name of Agent Sadesky, I mean, it's fine. I do that every week on the podcast. I, I, I have a question that'll lead us away from this slightly controversial topic. Aubrey, have you ever had a storage unit? Me? No, I've not. Okay, so I have had two storage units, like, at different points in my life, mainly because, like, I lived in small apartments and could not keep everything, right, like, in, in one place. Um, 
the things that were in my storage units like were like furniture that couldn't fit in my apartment or like boxes of stuff that I knew I wasn't going to get to in the six months that I lived in a studio apartment. Like stuff like that, some extra lamps I didn't need. Now, let's think about Sadusky's house and the size of Sadusky's house. Mm-hmm. He definitely had room for some coat racks. <laughs> Doesn't matter if he has people coming over anymore, but like, there's so many places where. Like these, le- like literally any of this stuff would go. So, like, obviously, he needs it. it he didn't, he needed to have the storage unit for, right? Like, a reason, and then fill it with extra stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. So, because, like, because, like, otherwise, he literally could have just kept all that stuff. But then also, like, why didn't he just keep whatever he needed the storage unit for in the like? secret room behind the bookshelf okay so for those of you who can't read emily's mind emily is trying to say here that sadusky has the storage unit for like a nefarious or like a secretive purpose like to hide something and so he had to fill it with other stuff to kind of not draw suspicion towards the one thing that he's really trying to hide so yeah i mean it's interesting because it's it makes me think you're right If he had something to hide, he would just put it in his clue room in the study of his house. And we also know that when Billy's hench people end up going through the unit later, they take everything. Presumably, if they would have found something important, we would have found out about it, especially if it was related to this treasure. Um, So could it be that he just has a rando storage unit? I mean, I guess, but like that, and I mean, I guess he had money. But it's like, why wouldn't he put his name on the storage unit then? I feel like the honestly, like I feel like this is leading us to like maybe this is something we ask the Wibberleys the next time we talk to them. So okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I agree, but also. The more I think about it, my brain is kind of spinning because we think it's a mysterious storage unit because of the EM Phasma name on it. But then once we go through the contents of the unit and presumably Billy goes through the contents of the unit, there's nothing weird in it. So it's probably just for plot that he put his name on it in a weird way so that Jess would have to solve a clue to find him to start the story. So it's honestly, if we ask the Wibberleys, I'm guessing that is what they would say. True, but I feel like I know we've, I know we've said some stuff in Edge of History, like plot-wise has felt a little contrived. A little being a kind term um but like there's also stuff that we have thought was contrived or like somebody dropped the ball and then we found out like oh no this would like remember that dude i don't remember his name but that dude you were so uh, interested in that was following them around the bearded guy yeah yeah 
like and like he had this whole thing a whole story yeah if you want to listen to the actual story behind the bearded guy go listen to uh the secret lies of the web release 2.0 our second interview with the wibs you won't be disappointed you're right i mean it there's a possibility like if i think sh- we could either be disappointed <laughs> or we could find something out right i feel like there's a i feel like there's a very good chance also that like if the show had gotten greenlit for a second season would Billy's team have found something mm. from the storage unit? Maybe. And maybe it was about the next treasure? Maybe. Maybe that's why he had the Yankee Doodle Dandy cap. <laughs> okay. On that note, let's let's go into some other things. Because if you watch this um, scene anytime recently, you're like, why are you just talking about the furniture? The furniture is the least interesting part. And to that, I would say you are correct kind listener um there are some odd things in the in the storage unit as well um several statues and figurines the first one that we see chronologically is a a gold colored figure um it looks to me like an like an asian figure an asian deity of sorts uh this is the first time i'm getting templar treasure vibes i definitely think that the the storage unit was designed by production to give templar treasure vibes um you know with the cobwebs it was dark in there there are random statues like this that kind of don't make sense right these sorts of figurines did show up in the templar treasure and just to to point it out there we on National Treasure Hunt have done the math to prove that those sorts of figurines in the Templar treasure would have been quite valuable. Um, so I'm not saying that Sadusky's gold figurine is from the Templar treasure. His could be just a decoration, but I do think it was put there very intentionally to give Templar treasure vibes. Yeah, definitely. Especially because this is like one of the first things you're seeing uh-huh. in one of the first episodes, and like you need to be making those those connections to the to the treasure. I definitely agree with that. One of the other distinct items that you can like actually parse out early on in this scene is, I don't know how best to describe this, but like a blue collar or sash that when you see it from a distance, it seems Freemasonish. And then if you slow down the scene quite a bit, which I did, you can actually start seeing some of the details. So along its length, there are all of these um, like silver emblems, if you will, including one that's like a star, one that looks very much like the Freemason compass symbol, and then a variety of other ones that I can't really make out. This collar or sash, if you're looking for it, is kind of hanging from one of the coat racks. Um, so it's near the front of the storage unit, and maybe that's why there's a coat rack, Emily, is just to to conveniently display this one particular item. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not in any way meant to uh, be a, a dig against any Freemasonry or anything like that, but when you're describing this sash, all I can think about is the, like, sash that I got when I was, um a junior in Girl Scouts and all of the little like patches and stuff that I got to put on it. Literally also knew you were going to say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I 
did not care enough to look this this deeply into the sash, but let's put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised if in the photograph of Sadusky and his son and his grandson that he gives to Jess, I wouldn't be surprised if like Sadusky was wearing the sash in that picture. Like it seems ceremonial. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like looking, <laughs> let us know. Because when you, you know, when it comes to Edge of History, we've seen it a lot. We have. We have. Um, okay, moving right along. We get to some curious objects. Uh, there's a literal coat of arms. Did you, I mean, did you notice the coat of arms, Emily? I didn't notice it before doing this exercise. Who doesn't want to be a soldier or a knight? A knight. A knight. A knight. Oh my gosh. Uh, the Knights of Templar. Oh my god. I was just going to go into the story about how, like, my favorite place in the Philadelphia Art Museum is the, like, the coats of armor room um because i like looking at all that but like what if he what if his because the freemasons and the knights of templar are like connected in this universe what if like that was somehow passed down to him from like one of his ancestors who was one of the knights templar okay and for that well I like your explanation here a lot better than mine, which was going to be that Sadesky stole this particular coat of arms from the Templar treasure, because as we know, there were many coats of arms in the Templar treasure, and they would be very, very valuable today. Uh, but I like your explanation 1,000 times better. Okay, let's go with mine. There's also a, like, Spartan helmet of sorts in the storage unit uh it's kind of like mounted on a display um unclear if it's just a decoration or if it's implied to be an actual artifact to be honest this is another thing that gives me templar treasure vibes sparta sinks with the templar treasures proposed like many 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 years long time period there's also um a like a wooden or a bronze figurine holding a sword. It looks like a warrior. It's featured very prominently at the time point 1257, like it's zoomed in on this figure. Um all of these things that I'm calling curious objects that seem treasure-esque kind of had me start to wonder if like Sadusky, having been involved in the Templar Treasure's discovery as, like, the FBI agent in charge, could he have somehow kept an item or two? This seems pretty ridiculous until you remember that he somehow got to keep all of the freaking clues from the first two treasure hunts in his little secret clue room. Um, so, like, I don't know. Crazier things could have happened here. But there's... Also, the fact that, like, he becomes friends with Ben, and we know Ben gets to keep a little bit of the treasure. We're led to believe that Ben accepts basically monetary value for the treasure. Like, like he doesn't keep any objects. But, like, could 
Sadusky have gotten one of the objects through Ben. But even if Sadusky didn't get the items in a sketchy way, I wonder if he could have purchased them somehow. He seems fairly well off. Emily, you mentioned the size of his house. It's a beautiful home. Um, he also has like a live-in nurse and expensive stuff in his storage unit. So like he has money. Could he have somehow purchased this stuff? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, if he purchased this stuff, would it have been Maybe, maybe even in a black market context. After all, he's been tracking people like Billy and Crosses Nostrum for years. Potentially, could he have like tried infiltrating these black market antiquities rings to learn more? In which case, he might have had to have posed as like a buyer, and maybe he—that's how he gets his hands on some of this stuff almost accidentally. And if if that was how he got his hands on this type of stuff, it would make sense why he wouldn't want to advertise it by having it in his house on public display, because maybe he's not proud of it, or maybe it's straight up illegal to have. I'm done. Hi guys! I also didn't write any of that down, and I hadn't thought about it before literally right now. <laughs> uh, that was insane. I really like the idea of, like, him having to pose on the black market to uh like get this get this sorted and to try but then it makes me think like did did he suspect hendrix i mean it's possible. People in our National Treasure Hunt community, especially over on the National Treasure Hunt Discord, have pointed out that if you watch the second National Treasure movie with Edge of History as, like, in the back of your mind as context, they do point out several actions where it seems like Sadusky could be, like, suspicious of the FBI or of Hendrix himself. Um, mm -hmm. So while we know that the, like, the Wiverleys didn't write edge of history in a way that like really ties in the second movie there are ways to watch it and get that vibe all right now that i'm very proud of that revelation and um the fact that it also supports my belief that sadusky isn't as upstanding of a guy as everyone likes to think he is uh the next time we see the storage unit <laughs> um happens a, a couple minutes later basically we have our whole title card and the theme song which by the way very long the title card and theme song it's great but i had to fast forward like press the button multiple times to get to the next scene which happens at 14 minutes and 20 seconds we see jess she's in the storage unit she seems to sort of be organizing slash cleaning it um I don't know. She's sweeping the ground. I don't know why she would be doing this yet. Like, she has not figured out who the... Uh, she's, uh, she's trying to look like she's doing... Something. A job. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because she she was not. See our previous episode, episode 64, to hear Emily rant about how Jess treats her job irresponsibly. Um... In this part of the scene, when Jess is, like, cleaning the unit or something, we see some more objects, all right? We see a another statue. It's like a winged animal. It looks like it's made of, like, black metal. Obsidian, maybe? Possibly. I like that connection. Um, also in this scene, we get a really quick cutaway 
to what looks like a number of almost discarded items on a shelf close to the ground, um, including board games. So there are two board games specifically, Pictionary and a game called Chauvinist Pigs. Wait, did you see if that was a real thing? Uh, you better believe I'm Googling it right now. I was just about to Google it. <laughs> okay, Chauvinist Pigs is a board game. I'm seeing a lot of listings here for, like, vintage, so it's an old game. Um, board Game Geek gives it a rating of 4.1 out of 10 stars. Ooh. And do you want me to read the description? Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. The game that finally resolves the battle of the sexes. Hey, guys. Um. No, I'm not done. I'm not done. That was the tagline. The description goes on to read. Hey, guys. Do you know all the stuff that guys are supposed to know about cars, sports, and the stock market? Hey, girls. Do you know your way around a sewing machine? Are you a queen of the culinary arts? You'll find out in Chauvinist Pigs, the game that lets you slice and dice the opposite sex with your all-around knowledge of the male and female lore. Whew. I almost wish we did not. I did not. I want to go back to before I had that information. Well, now I want to think about this because in set design and production, every choice every every object on set is a choice so i kind of wonder if there's a message here um it could it could just be like something that's supposed to date the storage unit um because this is clearly an old game with old ideals it clearly the game itself is very um contrary to the beliefs and ideals espoused by the show itself um but could it also paint Sadusky in a slightly more negative light? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's what where, where I'm that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay, but then but then he has Pictionary. So So it's all good. It's all good. Oh my god. It's all good. Yo, that's wild. Okay, I'm glad we looked that up. Um but what you probably noticed in this cutaway scene were not the board games. Now you'll notice them. You're welcome for that. Uh, what you probably noticed when you were actually watching this scene is this is where we first see the folded burial flag. Um, it's oh, it's yeah. in its little like packaging casing like envelope thing on the floor. Um, so it's actually like the the board games are on a shelf and the flag. Um, the folded up flag is on the floor, which I think is supposed to probably be symbolic um, of the fact that Sadusky has kind of tried to wipe the memory, like the bad memories of his son's death out of his brain and like out of his life and his conscience. Um, so it's kind of swept away physically on, on the floor of the storage unit. I mean, Emily, you also pointed out wondering why there's so many like things like furniture and even nice things in the in the storage unit. And it could obviously be for any number of reasons. Um, but as soon as I saw the flag in this particular cutaway scene, 
I did think that perhaps some of the items in the storage unit could remind Sadusky of Jack, his his deceased son. But a, but a coat hanger? <laughs> no, I'm thinking things like some of the Masonic objects um, mm. or things that give treasure vibes because he lost Jack on the search for the treasure. Yeah, and then everything else he had to hide in that secret room so he didn't see it all the time. Or those objects were somehow more like actual clues or seen as clues to the yeah i'm not you're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense emily i'm so sorry uh, <laughs> yes it's a good point it's a good point um when we when i see the flag i also start thinking more about sadesky because because it's the connection to his son so we know that sadesky has a son and a grandson because liam right we know that Liam's, we, we meet Liam's mom, mm -hmm. so the widow of Jack Sadusky, but we really don't know much else about Sadusky's family, so it got me wondering, like, was he ever married? Have we Ooh. ever heard about or at least thought about a partner? What do we think happened to them? Yeah, no. Ne never thought about it like even knowing that like he had a son and a grandson never occurred to me I, me either but the more I thought about this the more I started to tease out maybe some subconscious assumptions that I have about Sadusky like do you think he's gay I don't oh. do you um no, I was just wondering. No, I I don't know he could be, but my subconscious assumption was probably that he had been married to a woman who died um pre-national treasure. Mm. I don't really have any real reason to have that assumption. Um but I will say that Perhaps one of the more interesting things that we don't talk about enough in terms of information that Edge of History gives us is that three-year period between National Treasure's timeline in 2004 and meeting Sadusky in 2001 at the very beginning of Edge of History. So, like, we don't meet a wife or a partner or anyone in that span of time. We don't see anyone else in that 2001 cutaway scene but the way Sadusky made a recording of himself in 2001, which mm. launches the story, does make me feel that he lives alone. Mm -hmm. Because, I don't know, recording yourself for posterity is something that you probably think to do more if you don't have someone to pass that message to. Um true so i don't know i kind of get the vibe that maybe he's widowed or it could even be a situation like ben's mom where we think she was dead but she's Your actually alive they're separated maybe for whatever brief a time i had with her <laughs> maybe i mean i almost like this assumption more 
I would like to think that maybe Sadusky had a wife who left him because of the treasure to fully parallel the Gates family. Bold. Or, or could he have had a partner who, like Liam, blames Sadusky for Jack's death, for the death of what would be the partner's son? And then would the partner have left Sadusky after 2007, after Jack died during the treasure hunt? Or... And or, at this point, could there have been a connection here with, like, people perceiving Sadusky to have dementia or, you know, quote-unquote, going crazy when we know that he actually wasn't? And, like, could that have driven a partner away? True. Maybe that's also why he needed the the nurse, the mm-hmm. stay-at-home nurse. Like, maybe he was being cared for. Well, Yeah. But, like, before that. Before what? Before, like, his partner died or left him or whatever, like. It's possible. Okay, so that is my diatribe on Sadusky's family life based solely on the fact that I saw the burial flag in this scene. Um, (laughs) There's uh, perhaps two more items in this scene that I want to point out. Uh, There's a Freemason medallion. That looks a lot like the size and shape of like what I call the National Treasure Medallion. Uh, so basically the medallion that shows up in the beginning and the end of the first National Treasure movie that our podcast logo is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that we see in this scene, like in instead of having the unfinished pyramid on it, like our medallion does, it has the Freemason compass symbol on it Mm. um and so this got me wondering like genuinely whether this medallion was actually supposed to be the medallion from national treasure um but like they accidentally designed it wrong and the reason i think that's possible is um you and i have been asked questions by the wibberleys before that indicate that they don't like remember all the details from the movie which is super fair this was a long time Mm -hmm. ago um, so it like wouldn't actually surprise me if they just accidentally got the imagery on the medallion wrong and it was supposed to be the same thing. Hmm. But what if not? What it what if not? Like what if it was supposed to just be its own thing? Yeah. Like what would it mean to have multiple medallions? Well, I don't think it would mean anything in terms of national treasure, but I do think that it would be believable because we know Sadusky was a really high-ranking Freemason, so you could see it as a Freemason kind of status piece or even an award, like a Freemason award. Um, but True. to be honest, I like really want it to be the medallion. I know you do. You really like the medallion. I do, and that, I mean, that would be the kind of Easter egg I could really appreciate, just like tossed to the side like the medallion's just there and if you have the eagle eye if you see it you see it if you don't you don't you know Mm. okay (laughs) you are clearly not amused so i'm going to go into the one other thing that we see in this scene um there are two grandfather clocks two two weird right like 
I feel like I don't one's know. enough. Right? There's one. We see one pretty close up. There's like a pretty etching on the glass. Um, I really tried reading into this etching. You have no idea. But it seemed very random and not like cohesive. There's like an owl. There's sort of like a tribal looking pattern. There's like a triangle that looks a bit like the precision triangle that like contractors use. Very weird. I don't know where they got this grandfather clock. And then we see another grandfather clock. And I'm like, could this be the same one? And then no, it's definitely a different one. Um, so a really great example of like you said, things that could definitely be in his house, uh, but also like things like why would you have two? Maybe one was to indicate the passing of the noble bird. Mm. Well, maybe the wise bird. Owls are supposed to be wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know I know you're trying to make a, a National Treasure 2 connect. Um I feel you. I don't know. For what it's worth, grandfather clocks are pretty expensive. So again, the fact that he has two is like kind of mind blowing a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um as we move along, we know that Jess will end up taking some items out of the unit uh, in a box. And she also adds some stuff to the box when she's leaving with it. Uh, we have criticized on the pod in the past how the items that she took coincidentally like coincide with the items that she will need to pursue the first clue at the Masonic Lodge. So what did she take? She took a painting of the all-seeing eye. Um, she took the silver gavel. Um, this becomes really important as she solves the first clue. Something I didn't notice before was that the gavel has the all-seeing eye on it as well. If you want to see it, um, there's a close-up view at 14 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, when Jess sees this close-up at 1429, that's when she first says, like, oh my god, E.M. Phasma's a Freemason. Uh, I don't know if you remember, especially, this becomes particularly important when she's solving the clue using the gavel and, like, the light from the window is, like, hitting a specific side of the gavel and, like, it reflects off, whatever. The shape of the gavel is really important in that scene. I don't know if you remember, it had, like, a triangular prism shaped head kind of yeah it was weird um, right well it turns out that that was done at least partially for accuracy oh. um this is one thing i did want to look up because apparently like judges gavels the ones with round edges like the head is a cylinder those are not supposed to be used in masonic lodges huh interesting yeah so a true Masonic gavel, according to MasonicLodgeOfEducation.com, a true Masonic gavel has a rectangular head that is, quote-unquote, flat on one end and can be slightly pinched or come to a point on the other end. So um, the pictures that I was seeing online, I would describe the head as a pentagonal prism where the bottom of the pentagon, like the base of it, is what you would use to hit a surface. And the point would be sticking up in the air, like the opposite side. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So the the weird thing about the Sadusky gavel is it's definitely closer to the true Masonic gavel in shape than like a stereotypical judge's gavel. 
but it's still not the same shape. Like, it's still very, like, Sadusky's is still very much a triangular prism. Huh. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think is that, like, it had to be special. Because to of the unlock. Clue. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it was, like, close enough that, like, a casual Freemason person would have been like, oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's no, weird. I believe that. I think that's that's a good point. A ceremonial or something in a way that a Freemason wouldn't be like, this is objectively wrong, but like it could then be used in this special clue revealing way. Um, in addition to the gavel, we know that Jess also takes the folded burial flag. She gives it back to Sadusky when she visits him at his home. I didn't realize it before, specifically the multiple times I watched this episode previously, but Jess also took the blue sash and she took the Yankee Doodle Dandy hat and several small books. So, Emily, the reason that you remember the hat is because Oren is messing around with it and putting it on his own head in one of the scenes. Yes. But like why? Why did she take the hat? That is the best question you've asked all day and I I don't have a single answer for that question. You're like I, like you're throwing some stuff in the box and then you're just like this hat. Maybe she yes. took it specifically for Oren to mess with. She just knew he would love it. Needed to keep him a little distracted. <laughs> Give him something to do with his hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, maybe she wanted it for like Instagram pictures. I don't know. We know from the very end of the whole like season, the whole series that they're active on Instagram as characters. So like maybe they wanted to do it for the gram, you know? No. What do you mean no? That feels disrespectful. I disagree. For her to have done. I disagree. <laughs> Uh, anyway, if you want to check out this scene of Oren wearing the hat and Jess going through the box, um, she is examining the items on her coffee table at 24 minutes and 11 seconds after she leaves Sadusky's house. Um, I suppose that in the end, we can say that the items she took with her in the box seem to have the strongest, most obvious Freemason connotations. Things like the sash and the gavel, the all-seeing eye, uh, painting. Interesting she didn't take that medallion, but whatevs. Um, I guess I was I got to wondering why do we think she took specifically the Freemason items? Um, and then I was like trying to answer that question. I was thinking maybe she was curious about Freemasonry because of her interest in puzzles. Maybe she thought that Sadusky of all the items in the box that he might want to keep, maybe he would specifically want the Freemason items. But then I didn't believe that anymore because she seemed to only give him the burial flag and not the rest of the stuff in the box. Um, which then becomes doubly weird that she took the box. But anyway, um, I think most likely she perhaps thought that the items might have clues on them not like treasure hunt clues but like things that could help her figure out who em phasma was yeah and i mean i guess like in 
at the end of the day, she couldn't just take the gavel and have that magically have been the thing. Mm, right. So we're talking that, plot that she again. Needed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The more we do a deep dive like this, where it's so granular, the more holes we're poking by accident. I want there to be answers. <laughs> We can make answers, and we can make it canon, because I feel like people would believe us. <laughs> it's too much power. With great power comes great national treasure responsibility. Um, the last scene I want to discuss here is when Casey and Nate, two of Billy's hench people, arrive at Almighty Storage as fake FBI agents. They have loaded many of the file boxes into their truck. They have also loaded the Spartan helmet, one figurine, and one quote-unquote treasure chest, one of those chests, into their truck as well. Just just one, one of each. Well, that's where I was like, okay, can we can we make up fun reasons for that? And so before I do make up a fun reason for that, I will say that when they end up calling Billy on the phone later, they do say that they emptied the entire storage unit out. Um, so I guess take this with a grain of salt. But before I heard them say that, I thought that it would be fun to think that like maybe the items that they took, especially the artifact type items, um, like the Spartan helmet and the figurine, maybe they could themselves be things that Billy could sell on the black market as like an antiquities person. And like, Ooh. they already have access to the storage unit and no one's going to take the stuff, but them. So like, why not steal the stuff? So Billy can sell? like, you know what I mean? Like a side side quest, if you will. <laughs> like a character in a video game <laughs> side quest. I mean, it's one of those things that would make perfect sense to me, even though we know that's not Billy's goal, you know? Mm -hmm. um okay so like when they but you said they 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 say they cleared it all out yeah so presumably between the time that we see them at the storage unit and the time that they call billy presumably they've taken everything out of the unit and put it into their truck mm. to okay. to be honest the truck is pretty tiny. There's a lot of stuff in the storage unit, so they probably couldn't bring it all. But I will say, while Jess is being fake questioned by them inside of the storage unit, around 25 minutes and 45 seconds into the show, we can see a few more items that I just want to point out that were also in the storage unit. I guess presumably like buried under stuff. There was a piano. Oh. There was a set of golf clubs, and there was a terracotta-type figurine. Now, based on the storyline of Edge of History that we would very soon get to see, I would say we were supposed to get, like, ancient Mesoamerican vibes from this figurine. No, I thought you were going to say from the piano, and I was like, sure. They had what? pianos. Why would you think I was going to say that? You're literally uh, looking at the outline. Because this is it. I didn't know what it was. It refers to the last noun. The last noun is figurine. Anyway. Anyway, anyway. So. Wow. What, what have we learned about Agent Peter Sadusky 
through this exercise. I dare say that I might have successfully convinced Emily that Sadusky is just a shade more nefarious and not as nice of a person as she likes to think he is. Need I? Piano. But he had chauvinist pigs. He did have chauvinist pigs. And he might have purchased a coat of arms on the black market. That could have been passed down. He could have bought a Spartan helmet on the black market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, things can happen. He could be a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think my biggest question, just like reflection on this whole thing, is like, he has the he has a storage unit, right? But he also has that clue room, right? Uh-huh. And we know the clue room, it becomes apparent in later episodes, it's very important. Why did he keep the gavel in the storage unit and not the clue room? Because the gavel was like key to like getting this whole thing kind of started which almost then makes me feel like maybe he was because he was trying to he was trying to get Liam involved right like he he was but Liam wasn't really having it so like his I feel like his original plan might have been like okay we'll get Liam involved and then Liam will like get into the clue room eventually and he will figure this out and he will undermine process Nostrum but maybe at a certain point he was like I don't know that Liam is gonna be the one to do this so I need to leave this weird looking gavel in a storage unit where even after I die, right, like somebody's gonna have to clean it out, right? And we know this, you know, happened before that, but and like maybe maybe that person would have been able to figure it out. Right. Like the only way somebody would have been able to discern that specific gavel Mm-hmm. was important is if they like knew enough about Freemasons and the situation and stuff like that. And so maybe he was like, I'm gonna leave this here just in case. Okay. I have so many thoughts now. This like very lighthearted, almost silly episode has led me to so many thoughts that I think are actually kind of big and important. And the first one was prompted by exactly what you said. The fact that the gavel is stored in the storage unit and not the clue room. Is the gavel what he was protecting in the storage unit? Is that the one little thing he was hiding and just surrounding by a bunch of normal stuff? And is that why it says E.M. Phasma and not Peter Sadusky to protect specifically the gavel? Because yes, technically the gavel is a clue that you need to start the treasure hunt. So that, number one, is I think a pretty big potential revelation here. Number two, 
for folks who might have forgotten or who haven't watched Edge of History or need a reminder, the gavel ends up being used, like we said before, a light reflects off of it. It points to the like an altar at the Masonic Lodge. There are a bunch of stars on the altar and the base of the gavel fits into one of the stars. And then once you like turn the gavel, you, it like, it like causes this other like circular globe thing in the room to like, I don't know, pop open, whatever. And the inside of the globe thing is the, the box. I know it sounds ridiculous. It's because it is. Anyway, um, I would argue that hiding the box in the circular globe thing that someone could actually stumble upon accidentally if they're like dusting the globe thing. Or if, for example, one day the Masons decided we don't like these globe things here anymore. So let's just like remodel and like cut the globe thing down. Like someone would find the box eventually is what I'm saying. Um, but this did make me wonder, because this is not something that is explicitly mentioned in the show. So maybe other people have already made this connection. And it's not that revelatory. How did the box, the obsidian box, get in the Masonic Lodge? Did Sadusky put it there? But think about it. The, the person who had the box that we last knew of was Raphael. Remember? Jess's dad found it before he was attacked by Salazar and then was presumed dead. Who put the box in the Masonic Lodge in Baton Rouge. I'm inclined to think it was Sadusky if Sadusky has the gavel that leads to the box. Therefore, let's back this up even further. At one point, if that is true, this is the big the big mic drop. If that is true, Sadusky at one point had two of the three boxes in his possession. He had the obsidian box, because he knew where it was at the lodge, and he found the jade box in Cibola. At one point, he had two of the three boxes himself. Ooh. Was that Light a mic drop? drop? Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. I have not thought of that before. Had you? I had not. It's one of those things that I'm half expecting our listeners to hear that and be like, duh? But like, I definitely never made that connection until right now. I think I assumed he was the one that put it there, but I didn't make the connection of, like, why that would have been such a big deal that he put it there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the last reflection that I wanted to give, um, which now seems so insignificant um, compared to that discussion that you and I both just had, my big reflection from the storage box from this exercise is kind of hearkening back to the joke that you made at the beginning of this episode, like, would someone after our lives are over be able to look at our possessions and, like, be able to tell something about us as a person? In Sadusky's case, the answer is no. I find it shocking how little we can tell about him based on his possessions. At least based on the possessions in the storage unit. Right, which, you know, I actually feel like most people's I would venture a guess that most people in the world, their storage unit would, would tell you potentially more than what you can see just as an onlooker in their home. 
because storage units are oftentimes holding things of, you know, from our childhood of sentimental value, something that we don't have a reason to put out on display, but we don't want to get rid of. So like, mm. there should be more personality here. And that leads me to one of two assertions, either He's like a very mysterious figure in general, perhaps because of his time in the FBI, keeping like low profile, or it further supports your your proposition that the storage unit was a cover just to protect the gavel. I'm going to go with cover. Okay, Emily, I feel like this episode was the most delightful mixture of random and extremely poignant and insightful a hundred percent agree it was a chaotic <laughs> roller coaster it was uh if you were able to follow along uh if you have any any thoughts yourself on the storage unit contents and what that could mean for sadusky as a person um go ahead and check us out on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast uh we also have a website um nthuntpodcast.com and then please go ahead and join us on patreon where we have some fun behind the scenes content and some extra little perks for y'all yes i hope you all learned something from this episode maybe it got you thinking we want to hear your thoughts. Definitely send them our way. And then be sure to come back for our next episode, which will be, I think, a really, really good one. We're talking all things villains, you guys. You know, in the past, we've talked about um, comparing Ian and Mitch from National Treasure and Book of Secrets. Well, now we're going to go one step further and compare our film villains to our edge of history villains, namely Billy and Salazar. It's going to be a wild ride. You're not going to want to miss it. So until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. Thank you.